0: Despite our own shocking lack of maturity, we do discuss mature subject matter, including coarse language and violence, fairly often. Listener discretion is advised. We are not professionals.
1: We have no qualifications.
0: It's gonna get weird.
1: Welcome to Weird Shit Weekly, where we talk about weird shit weekly. I'm Alexis. And I'm Sam. And this is a podcast where we agree on a different prompt each week, go off and do our research, and come back and tell each other about our findings. This week's prompt is actually a listener suggestion. Thank you, Emma. And it's What Goes Around Comes Around.
0: What Goes Around Comes Around. This one had... There's a lot of possibilities. A lot of directions we could have gone down. I mean, when doing our research, they this are week.
1: open-ended, so
0: they are. That's fair. I guess I do say this every <laughs> single week,
1: <laughs> every single week. You're like, I had too many options.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, every week, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I guess some weeks I do have more options, but this week I, you think that I wouldn't have struggled, but I did struggle to find my topic. I think we just and struggle
1: in general, Sam.
0: Yeah. We I just, struggle. it's just a, a constant struggle. <laughs> So you know what? Uh, On that note of struggling, (laughs) uh, I can start us off with my tale for the week. Uh, This week, I am covering the story of Maximilian Robespierre. So you may know him. You may not know him. But I really enjoyed the story because it's just a perfect example of Karma coming back and biting you in the ass. And by karma coming back and biting you in the ass, I mean Alexis's ferret karma (laughs) coming around and biting your ass. She's just a mean little creature, okay?
1: (laughs) She's very old and very crotchety, and she doesn't like anyone, and we love her anyway.
0: That's, you know what, that's a mood, I will say. The way that she feels, the way that she is, it's a mood. Plus she's hilarious, so... She is. She's so, I will say, she's sweetie. She's cute. <laughs> um, so, the story of Maximilian Robespierre is definitely a story of karmic retribution, for sure. Um, so, to start off, uh, he was born on the 6th of May, 1758, in Arras, France. Maybe pronouncing that correctly. Uh, we'll see. And he died on July the 28th, 1794, in Paris. So, who Robespierre was, he was a radical Jacobin leader and one of the principal radical figures in the French Revolution. From 1765 onwards, he attended the College of the Oratorians in Arras. Then, in 1769, Robespierre attained a scholarship to the esteemed College of Louis Le Grand in Paris, where he studied philosophy and law. He then earned a law degree in the year 1781 and became a lawyer in his hometown. So soon after, Robespierre made a name for himself and was appointed a judge at the Sal Episcopal, a court that had jurisdiction over the provostship of the diocese. So this private law practice that he had allowed him to live really comfortably, you know, with a decently sized income. He was, he was doing well for himself. So, things seem pretty good so far. Seems like a decent person so far. In 1783, he was admitted to the Arras Academy. uh, And soon after his admittance, he became the Academy's Chancellor and subsequently its President. Uh, So, he's just moving on up here. As a lawyer representing the poor, uh, that's what he did. He he felt that he wanted to represent the poor, uh, sometimes working pro bono. Um he in doing this, he was truly shocking the privileged classes of the area by participating in protests in Memoir pour Le Sieur du which uh sorry for my pronunciation. Do you which,
1: believe that we learned French in school?
0: Oh, you no one would know. No one would have any idea that we studied French whatsoever at any point in our lives (laughs) um but anyway the that just that sentence that I butchered there translates to the report for Lord DuPont um so these protests that he participated in fought against royal absolutism and arbitrary justice so after this Robespierre thought hey you know I'm gonna keep on going he decided to take on a public role um calling for needed political change in the french monarchy so at this point in his life he became very devoted to the ideals of the social philosopher jean jacques rousseau jean jean jacques jean jacques jean jacques oh my god oh man okay Oh, this is ja- going to be a rough just, time. This is a rough one for me. I like As I was reading through my script, I read it through in my head. I should have read it out loud because you don't know how horrible your accent is until you read it out loud. Um, all right. He became very devoted to the ideals of the social philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau and was intrigued by the idea of a virtuous man who stands alone, accompanied only by his conscience. So this was uh, an ideal that, you know, he really embodied he was very intrigued by
1: <sighs> so like getting into that i mean i know you're not a french philosopher <laughs> but in terms of what that actually means is he taking that on as like a political viewpoint or more of like a like a code like a personal code of ethics
0: um, it's a bit of both, actually. Um, he took that on in um, his demeanor and his uh, his duties, the duties that he felt that he had to um, kind of fulfill I guess in his public role um but then also yes like it like a, a more like an ethical moral standpoint just for himself so after yeah after he you know embodied this ideal here like he he well after he set out to embody this ideal um he built a solid reputation for himself for defending the poorest people in society often working pro bono as I said and at this point he had earned the nickname The incorruptible, as he was known to always adhere. Yeah. So apparently, who knows if he gave himself? I don't. I who knows if he gave himself this nickname? If he gave himself
1: that nickname, holy shit,
0: dude! Yeah, I know. I mean, just. I mean, not that he
1: did, but like,
0: if he did. Can you imagine how far up your own ass do you have to be to give yourself a nickname? Can you imagine just being
1: called the incorruptible?
0: I just. I don't really like that. I just. No, no, I would maybe just because
1: we are very
0: corruptible, but like, yeah, and also from outside sources, too. It's not like, you know, you're yeah, I don't know. It's the nickname. As soon as I read that, I was like, all right, this guy is going to become a problem. So apparently he had earned this righteous nickname as he was known to always adhere to very strict moral values and codes. So and this was all before he was 30. So Jesus. Yeah, so when he was 30, uh Robespierre was elected to the Estates General of the French legislature. So
1: the Etat General.
0: The Etat Oh I, yeah, Etat General. Yeah, I had no accents, so I figured Estates General, you know. The States General is fine. Yeah. Makes sense. You know? Yeah. We're just here. We're sh- we're just going to, you know, we're just here. We're not French. <laughs> um, can't you think that I, oh man, I studied French grade one through to grade 12. And then I took French two years in university. You would think that, You Did
1: you wait? Did you actually? Yeah, I
0: That's did. That's more <laughs>
1: French than me. Holy shit. I know.
0: I know. And my friend just like, and the thing is, it sucks that throughout all of my, just throughout all of my french uh teachings i guess i mean the only thing i ever learned like so concretely was like grammar grammar and um conjugation and all that i mean i could do french grammar exercises probably until the day that i die but how's that gonna help me conversationally it's
1: not (laughs) it's true it's like i I would say like (laughs) a good i would say like maybe 30 percent of speaking french convincingly is
0: the accent Oh, oh, 100%. Oh my gosh, yeah. My accent's absolutely horrible.
1: My accent was pretty good, because there was like a hot second there. Like, my dad learned French from living in France, so mm-hmm. he put a lot of effort into instilling a good accent in me, even though oh, his okay. accent is actually terrible now that I think about it. Sorry, dad, oh, if you hear okay. this.
0: Sounds like he's oh, well, like you know? gargling. oh but I mean that's that's amazing he's like you know what my accent will never perfect it but I just want to put all of my people used
1: to comment on it all the time when I was a kid and we were like learning like when we were at Mm St. Denis because people would be like why do you speak French with a European accent and be like I don't
0: know (laughs) I'm six yeah (laughs) yeah don't ask me I'm like six years old (laughs) yeah So the, uh, I'm not even going to say the word anymore, or again, (laughs) I'm not going to say it again. So we know what he was elected to. He was elected to the uh, States General of the French legislature. So uh, at this point in his life, obviously, he was becoming very popular with the French people uh, for his attacks on the monarchy and his passionate advocacy for democratic reform. So he was very much so, uh, you know, man of the people. Um, In addition to this. Robespierre was opposed to the death penalty and was opposed to slavery, you know, as, you know, you should be, as you would be. As a normal (laughs) person should be. Yeah. You know, this isn't anything to be celebrating. (laughs) So some of his colleagues actually saw his refusal to compromise and his rigid stance against all authority as extreme and impractical. So, because of this, after a while working for the legislature, he left to pursue pushing his agenda outside of government alone. So now fast forward to April of 1789, Robespierre was elected as president of the powerful Jacobin political group. um, And exactly one year later, he, or around one year later, not talking exact day, um, he contributed in writing to the Declaration of Rights of Man and Citizen, which was the very foundation of the French Constitution. So when Parisians, you know, fed up, rose up against King Louis the, oh, 16th? That's a big number, yeah. King Louis the 16th in August of the year 1792, Robespierre was elected to lead the Paris delegation to the new national convention. And then by December, he successfully was able to fight for the execution of the king. Using his power here. Um, so, okay, he's just, man, this man just spends his life being elected to different committees. Um, so on July 27th of 1793, Robespierre was elected yet again. Um, to something (laughs) he was elected to the committee of public safety which was a group formed for the purpose of overseeing the government so like basically for all intents and purposes this group had uh dictatorial 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 control so now fast forward to as I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with uh the reign of terror so the revolutionary government here instituted the Reign of Terror in September of 1793. As at this time, they and up leading up to this time, they were faced with immense pressures from the outside and from within the government as well um to institute this very rigid kind of terrifying um reign. <laughs> so within the next 11 months 300,000 suspected enemies of the revolution were arrested and more than 17,000 of them were executed and most by guillotine. So, that's nice. Um
1: off with their heads.
0: Yeah, off with their heads, exactly. That's where that comes in. <laughs> Ooh, and oh, I was reading this one article that I really I kept the wording in I just don't like it, but I guess say it anyway. This one article that was describing um, all of these murders or all of the executions by guillotine uh, described it as an orgy of bloodshed, and I just I don't like that. What a term! What a I know. Term. I don't. I don't like that term, but I kept it in anyway. And um, uh, yep. Yeah. So in this orgy of bloodshed, I just, I gotta get it over with. Um, Robespierre was able to eliminate many, so many of his political opponents. So he's just wiping them all out. Goddamn. So going on with this, continuing with this, Robespierre called for many more purges and executions. Um, And in May 1794, Robespierre insisted that the national convention proclaim a, new official religion for france so he's 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 going off here um this new official religion for the country was called or referred to as the cult of the supreme being so wow you know just any it's not good you read that and you think this man is i mean essentially losing his marbles and also i mean if he's if he's like ordering um more than 17,000 executions by Guillotine, I think it's also clear at that point. It's that true. You, yeah. Your that's marbles pretty... are gone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they're no
0: they're nowhere to be seen. Um yeah, so this is I just I find this so funny. It just he's he's so ridiculous. Um oh or he was so ridiculous. So the cult of the supreme being was a official religion, quote, that was Based on the thinking of that philosopher Jean Jacques Rousseau that uh, Rose was so enamored with, um, and whom he was a passionate advocate for, so this cult, this religion was just was just solely based on the thinking of this philosopher. So after he, you know, after he kind of derailed a little bit and suggested that. Um, we're going back to the Reign of Terror and the intensification of the Reign um, and Rose Pierre's autocracy uh, made him increasingly unpopular, as you can imagine. You know, he's he's not a popular man anymore. He is no. I'm I'm sure he was no longer the incorruptible because um, he's just out here um, being horrific. I don't know how <laughs> else to describe it. So obviously, increasingly. Increasingly unpopular. Um, so then, French military successes served to undermine the justification for such ruthlessness. And from this point, a conspiracy was formed uh, to overthrow Robespierre. So now we'll fast forward to July 27th, 1794. Um, Robespierre was actually arrested after a struggle. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so he was he was arrested. People are taking no more of his crap. Just everyone's like, you know what? Shut it down. Just fully shut it down. We're not tolerating this man anymore. Um, so this this just this kind of really speeds up here at the end. Um, he so after he was arrested, the very very next day, uh, Robespierre uh, was wounded from a bullet to the jaw. Um, so he but it was inflicted by himself. So one report said he, yeah. So one report said he was wounded from a bullet to the jaw. And then uh, another report is what I've got. uh, I've got this in my notes as well. Um, When he had received word that the national convention had declared him an outlaw, he tried to take his life and you know tried but failed and succeeded only in wounding his jaw. So that's what happened the very next day after he was arrested. So he did try to take his life, did not succeed. And after that uh, 21 of his closest supporters Were executed at the guillotine So here comes the karma <laughs> um, Yeah so that happened um, Shortly after uh, Troops from the National Convention Stormed the building uh, Where he was arrested And or where he was detained I guess at the time And seized Rose Pierre And he was sentenced to death by, drumroll please, guillotine. So
1: Unsurprising.
0: Unsurprising, I know. I mean, anyone who knowing the story of Rose Pierre knows that was his fate, and I just love that. I mean, just in simple, I guess in, in simplest terms, and just disregarding the entire story that I just told, I think just my favorite thing is the fact that you can summarize his whole ridiculous life Just by mentioning the karmic retribution of it all, because he took, I mean, who knows, who knows what the exact number was, but it is estimated as much over 17,000 lives by guillotine, then 21 of his closest followers and supporters executed by guillotine, and then in the end, he was executed by guillotine. So I think, yeah, I mean, for anyone and everyone who believes in karma, that is the, I guess, perfect example of karma. That's I
1: mean that's definitely a tale of what goes around comes around because
0: Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> thanks
1: for the tale, Sam.
0: Oh, of course.
1: On from French Revolution to boomerangs,
0: baby. I love it. I really do love this contrast transition? in our in our stories today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so okay, so I do just want to say again that I have absolutely stolen my fiance's idea again because i was totally down to go the route of historical revenge tales and shit like that some real good like scorched earth drama but then i offhandedly mentioned what the prompt for this week was and he was like oh like boomerangs and i was like fuck that's really cool so uh, in God summary, sweet man. Matt is better at this than either of us are, I guess. Oh,
0: he is just without a single doubt.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I'm unabashedly taking his idea and
0: running with it. Um, Matt, I will be consulting with you for next week's prompt. <laughs> if, if you've got any ideas that you can throw my way, I would be, you know, appreciative of Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Matt.
1: Okay, so there are actually several different kinds of boomerang, um, and they all kind of loosely go by different names, but they're all pretty much under the umbrella of boomerang, and boomerang, the word, is actually kind of debated in terms of, like, where it comes from. It is, for sure, Australian um, in source, but uh, tracking down who came up with the word and started using it is kind of more or less lost to history. But basically, a boomerang just refers to a curved throwing stick. Okay. So for this episode, I'm going to be talking about two types or like two categories of boomerang, which is the returning and non-returning type. Um, Okay. Those are exactly like what you think they are. Uh, mm-hmm. returning is probably what most people are thinking of when you say boomerang and indeed it's the most common iteration of boomerang that's available to the modern public right now um, on a boomerang. And it's the kind that has an elliptical trajectory when thrown just right. So it comes back to the thrower. You could say it goes around and then comes around.
0: That it does. Oh, I have such a sweet boomerang story, but I will leave it to the end. I just remembered it.
1: <laughs> yes, we love a boomerang story. Okay. So non-returning, on the other hand, is the kind that is whipped straight at a target, um, and it picks up significant speed and rotation and fucks that shit right up on the other end. Uh it's actually easier to make a returning boomerang than a non-returning one. Uh, And it's theorized that returning boomerangs came about as toys uh, and were discovered after attempts at, quote unquote, tuning non-returning boomerangs for hunting, Um, because obviously those need to fly true. So it's theorized, there's no concrete evidence, of course, because this is an ancient tool, um, but it's theorized that when hunters were kind of honing the weapon, it would curve on a, like it would go in a curved trajectory. And so they could hone it one way to make it curve all the way around in an ellipse, or they could hone it the other way to make it fly true and straight. Hmm. Okay. Um, so boomerangs are a huge cultural icon of Australia and they appear on insignias, postcards, souvenir shops, etc. There's even, um, some really cool kind of postcards and letters, uh, where they appear in, um, like colonial messages sent back home because, of course, Australia, when it was colonized by the British, uh, was essentially a prison colony. So people would be sent there to serve out a sentence um, and then they would have the opportunity to come back. And so they actually, or some people, really latched on to that imagery of the returning boomerang, which was a thing before colonization in Australia. Um, and they would like send postcards with the boomerang on it and they would make allusions to hoping to be like the boomerang and come home in the future. Oh, sweet. Um, anyway, so there in the modern times, there are competitions for returning boomerang throwing with records and points awarded for accuracy, distance, fast catch, whatever that means, and other kind of categories. So, a boomerang, interestingly enough, was used to set a Guinness World Record for the longest throw of an object by a human in 2005 by David Shumy? Shummy? I don't really... Scummy? I, I don't really know how to say his last name. Oh, Scummy. Scummy. It's S-C-H-U-M-M-Y. So, I feel like it's like Shummy or Shumi, but, you know... Yeah. Anyway, um, so the throw was 427.2 meters, or 1,402 feet. Wow. Which is very far. It's important to note that boomerangs are not exclusive to Australia. And, in fact, curved throwing sticks have been discovered in India, Africa, North America, and throughout Europe. Oh,
0: that's cool. Throughout Europe. Ah. These
1: historical yeah these historical boomerangs were typically of the non-returning variety and were primarily used for hunting uh, but also could have doubled as progressive musical instruments like for hitting on drums um, and melee clubs so there is evidence to suggest that people would hit each other with boomerangs like a club um, because they can actually get quite big and heavy so they can do some real damage um when they're not airborne as well. Uh and there is an interesting kind of anecdote from um a colonial british man kind of writing about a scuffle between um two indigenous aboriginal peoples in Australia um and he writes about a boomerang that from the record seems to be a returning boomerang. Um, where it was thrown and then came back, but when it was thrown, it hit somebody on the other side of the scuffle and left this, like, huge bruise. Uh, so it's definitely, it, it, it can be used as a, like, both types can be used as a weapon, um, and both types were used, um, airborne. You could also use it as a club. Uh, so it was kind of this, like, very handy utilitarian weapon piece of equipment. Um, Oh, okay. And to be fair, that anecdote very much could have been exaggerated. It's, like, one of those quotes that is very well steeped in that classic, like, weirdly neutral British tone where they just seem like they present everything as fact. But
0: the actual
1: (laughs) description of it is very, like, fanciful. Um, And he describes the guy who throws it as um, particularly notable for his great courtesy. Which, I'm not really oh. sure that it's courteous to be throwing a boomerang at someone, but you know what? It's all good. There's a record of it being used as a weapon, and there's witnesses right. to that. Okay. Um, anyway, the oldest surviving Australian Aboriginal boomerangs were found in a cache in a peat bog, and have been dated to 10,000 BCE. Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's insane. They're truly ancient.
0: Wow. Oh, that's so cool. And it's just
1: it's like so brilliant because it's just this, it's this incredibly simple object with insane utility. So the oldest known depiction of a boomerang being used, in this case as a hunting weapon. It's like uh, being used to, I believe, hunt kangaroos. Uh, is found on the Indigenous Australian rock art of Kimberley, which is a very famous uh, archaeological site. And um, it's dated to be potentially 50,000
0: years old. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. And I would not have assumed that. Yeah. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) So this shit is, is old with
1: like a big O. Uh, so, it used to be believed that Australians were the only ones with returning boomerangs. So, um, people used to assume that the other boomerangs found throughout the rest of the world were of the non-returning variety. However, some Egyptian boomerangs have been found to hold returning properties. In particular, King Tutankhamen, so King Tut, Um, Ah. was entombed with an arsenal of his favorite boomerangs, both returning and non-returning.
0: Oh, that's cool. Did not know that.
1: Boomerangs can be made of several different materials, and while wood is typical, there are historical samples made of ivory and bone, with the latter materials being more common in expensive Egyptian returning boomerangs. This suggests that they were more likely used for recreation and as a status symbol as opposed to the more utilitarian hunting weapons that were made of wood. There's even a boomerang discovered in the Carpathian Mountains in Poland that was made of mammoth's tusk and is believed, based on AMS dating of objects found around it, to be about 3,000, or sorry, 30,000 years old.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool.
1: There's a lot of, like, solid prehistoric evidence for boomerangs just being common like all over the world in some form um and they're pretty they're pretty intense we'll get into it but they're they're pretty intense um so first things first let's talk about how boomerangs actually work and i am going to preface this by saying that i don't actually really understand how they work physics is not my strong suit um oh
0: me neither.
1: <laughs> but you know what? We're not professionals. We are not experts. We are just two idiots talking about stuff we learned on the internet. So exactly. here we That
0: are. is truly all we are.
1: <laughs> um, And it's important to note that how a sports boomerang works of the modern variety and how an ancient boomerang works while similar are, you know, there's, it's not a, an equal exchange kind of Comparison. Um, Oh, okay. But essentially, with a non-returning boomerang, it's pretty straightforward. It's built to have a certain aerodynamic quality that allows it to fly true. So, essentially, you want to be throwing it straightforward, and it will continue on that trajectory with a very slow descent, gradually picking up speed so they can be thrown really really fast and really really far and those will fuck you up there's like i'm serious there's so they were used as hunting weapons um and there's evidence to suggest that it can incapacitate an emu by hitting its neck um and that it can take down a kangaroo if you aim for the legs which suggests that it can cause like Bone breaking injuries. I really struggled to find um definitive speed measurements, especially for the non returning kind, because they're not really like most of the non returning kinds are used for like spectacle or for um like they're archaeological specimens. So of course no one's gonna be throwing them around. Uh, so I really struggled to find like a definitive speed that they can get to, uh, especially because they come at like different sizes and that kind of thing. Um, but they can be as heavy as two kilograms and those, as I'm sure you can imagine, something that is two kilograms in weight hurtling towards you hundreds of feet, potentially, it's going to have a great opportunity to really pick up speed. It's, it's still kind of gaining enough lift to keep itself airborne. And that coming straight for your leg is a bad time.
0: Oh, that's not a time that I ever want to experience. That sounds horrifying. Yeah, is, so I can oh, I can imagine that's definitely got bone breaking power.
1: Yeah, so so oh, they would gosh. hunt kangaroos. Kangaroos were considered big game, so you, you could fell a kangaroo with a few really good boomerang whacks. Um,
0: <sighs> I'm just picturing thing- someone hunting with a boomerang, and it's 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 quite the picture.
1: Yeah, and then there's evidence to suggest that some of them were bladed, which is insane.
0: That's terrifying. I don't like the thought of that. That's
1: so scary. Um, And then there's also been, like, in terms of, like, how it works, there's been um, kind of modifications made to some of them where they've got, like, kind of dots or divots carved into them to allow the trajectory to remain as straight as possible and potentially to um, reduce, like, air friction so that they're just traveling as fast as possible, uh, which is also terrifying. Yeah. Um, so they were, they were, like, really ubiquitous hunting weapons in some parts of Australia and, indeed, in other places where they were used as well. Um, so they'd be used to hunt anything from that big game that we were talking about, like emus and kangaroos, to smaller game, like, birds, Um, and there like there is the suggestion of returning boomerangs being used to kind of scare out game birds from like the brush so that they fly up to like their nests and you can kind of pick them off as they're flying um so that's cool too uh but yeah so the non-returning boomerangs were typically thrown straight uh you could be left or right-handed but there is like a like you have to use a different boomerang for each side, um, and they just like fly true and hit whatever's on the other end. That's their purpose, which is insane. As for the returning boomerang, it is actually one of the first examples of man-made flight because what it technically is doing is flying. Isn't that crazy?
0: i mean yeah i i would not have uh characterized it as that but i guess that's what it is doing
1: <laughs> it is fine and and if you watch a video of someone throwing a boomerang properly it's pretty crazy because it doesn't descend and until it comes back like it like it'll do its full elliptical rotation and then when it comes back it kind of flips back on its side and the person can catch it it's bizarre it's absolutely mm. bizarre. But basically, yeah. um when you throw it, it will start spinning, of course, and then it will start um like rotating. So essentially what the boom what a returning boomerang is is a wing. So it's a single wing and most people kind of throw it kind of upward, like they kind of just fling it forward. Um but if it's thrown properly, it curves in the air and kind of flattens out and it's generating enough lift by rotating over and over again in the air that it doesn't really descend. And in many, like sometimes it kind of looks like it's even going upwards. Um, So it kind of spins around in the air. It'll take that elliptical circumference trajectory that we were talking about. Um, It's basically generating more lift than it is falling, right? So it's at the bare minimum, staying on a more or less even keel, which is flight. right? It's flying. Uh, yeah. um, so it, it wow. flies in a rotational direction. And then as it comes back, it's the weirdest thing. I've watched so many videos of this and I still can't wrap my head around it. Like they, they like return to their starting point and kind of their starting position. So, like, there will be this moment where it, like, dips when it gets back to you. And that's when the person mm-hmm. grabs it. It's insane.
0: I do not understand. It's <laughs> crazy.
1: Same, same. So, the interesting thing is, like, as I mentioned, it's easier to make a returning boomerang than it is to make a non-returning boomerang. Because actually, with the curvature of it... Um, it's really difficult to get that perfectly straight trajectory. So that being said, it's, it's also really hard to perfect a returning boomerang because you want it to complete that full elliptical trajectory, right? And it's so easy for you to just be like making a hunting, uh, boomerang and throw it at that. It just curves at a 90 degree angle and falls into the ground. Um, but it's pretty cool. So that's essentially how boomerangs work, um, and that's what they were used for. They are super ancient, which is crazy, um, and yeah, that's a yeah. boomerang, baby.
0: That's really cool. I again, I have to thank Matt for that suggestion. That's awesome. And you don't ever think, I guess I would never have thought that I knew nothing about boomerangs, but today that was confirmed. <laughs> I knew nothing about boomerangs. That's Awesome. And I'm still just, I think, floored by how, how old those, you know, first boomerangs were. And Truly how old they, ancient. how, yeah, how old they date back to. And They're like pre-historic, the idea like a really. terrifying. <laughs> they are, they really are.
1: And what's really interesting to me is like the level of discourse in boomerang academia about where, they come from, and of course I'll be linking sources below if anyone wants to check them out. Um, they're really interesting, but basically there's like an entire book about just Egyptian boomerangs and the discovery that they had returning boomerangs and the debate about how they acquired returning boomerangs. Is this a case of like, you know, they just happened to come up with them as well, or is it a case of some level of transcontinental communication is this like a holdover from a great migration there's just there's all this debate surrounding ancient and even prehistoric boomerangs and their source and what they do and it's just what they were used for it's really really cool that is Um, there's even been types of like hooked boomerangs so they're they're still the non-returning variety but they they're shaped more like a scythe than like a oh, right angle oh. kind of thing, and yeah. there's like depictions of them being used to catch multiple birds at once.
0: Oh, I don't like that. Oh, that's is so insane. scary. Yeah. Wow. Dude, it's
1: so crazy. It's so this is such a rabbit hole. And then that's not even getting oh, into the sports element of it. I like got into the sports element and then I was like, no, I'm still sportsed out from last time. I can't, I can't. Oh, you said you had a you said you had your yes. boomerang story.
0: Yes, it's short, but it's very sweet and heartfelt. So <laughs> I thought of this. I don't know, I didn't think of this earlier when you mentioned that you were covering like before I covered my story. I didn't even think of this when you told me that you were covering uh boomerangs, but I thought of this just before you began your tale, and it's just so sweet. So I work with a person. um, I will not disclose who they are, but just, you know, this person that I work with is very, very sweet and just so kind, very wholesome. (laughs) So (laughs) I work with this person, and this person, back when we used to work at location, back when I used to be in an office, back when I didn't have to... You know, back when no one had to be cooped up at home all the time, twenty four seven, losing their minds. So what a time to be alive! Yeah, back before the pandemic, and this was in the
1: before times. In the
0: before times, this was this was before twenty twenty two. This was back in twenty nineteen, the year that we miss. Um But this person was telling me that they had carved their own boomerang and i was like oh "Oh, that's cool yeah had carved their i can't remember which type of wood they used but they had carved their own boomerang and showed me pictures i was like wow that's awesome like good for you that's really really cool so they brought it into work one day and showed us and i thought wow awesome and it was i mean i think it was beautifully carved and it had like a um like a stain or like a lacquer kind of finish to it I mean it was beautiful um and they told us this is just oh it's so sweet but it made me so sad this is the part that is very sweet and (laughs) I just heartfelt about it but they told us that they wanted to not I guess just not buy their own boomerang but carve their own boomerang or yeah create their own boomerang because they always want to play frisbee but have no friends to play Frisbee with. Oh, and I was God. like, Oh God. And it made me so sad. And I was like, Oh, um, and you don't know what to say. You're like, Oh, um, cause it's like, right. well, I don't really <laughs> want to play Frisbee. Yeah. So, and I mean, I like, I, you know, I mean like I work with this person, but I mean, I, I, not that I know them really well, but I didn't know them, you know, at all back then. I think that was when I first started in that position or, um, soon after um and I just I felt bad. I didn't know what to say. I was like, "Oh, up, okay. You know, all right." And they're like, "That's why I made myself a boomerang so I can play frisbee or play catch." And I was like, "Oh, I mean, all right." I mean, honestly
1: though, we stand. We do Good stand. For them. Oh.
0: Of course we stand. This person is so sweet. Um then yeah, you know, I thought, "Yes, you're taking matters into your own hands. You're going to play frisbee no matter what." Or I guess you know, an altered boomerang. version of Frisbee where yeah. it's a boomerang. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Dude, like the competitive levels of boomeranging get insane. So.
0: I can imagine. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Can't knock it. All
1: right. Well, that's. Yeah. What goes around comes around. Uh, thank you again, Emma, for your tale. Yes, I do just want to say here that we recognize that we have not been consistently weekly the last couple yeah. weeks. Um, yeah. I just started going back to school and, of course, with the pandemic and working a full-time job and having bills to pay. It gets pretty crazy. Uh, Sam's got her own stuff happening.
0: So we're doing this for fun. We're here. We're around. Exactly. We're around. You know, sometimes we, we always want to try to keep it weekly, but sometimes, unfortunately, life gets in the way. And 2020 likes to prove that it gets in the way oh what a what
1: a butt munch this year is
0: Um, oh oh, i really like that i really do think that this year is a butt munch i (laughs) i like that analogy samantha
1: (laughs) would you like to send us off with introducing next week's prompt
0: yes so uh i'm really excited to say for next week we have another listener suggestion um any if any of you are listening and you've got Uh, ideas for prompts we love to hear them it makes us so happy that dm us email us yeah we love it anything yeah if you've got any prompt ideas we appreciate them we're just happy that we have a few listeners (laughs) (laughs) we love you all so we do we just we appreciate you all so much (laughs) so this is exciting our listener suggestion comes from my friend lauren my sweet friend Lauren, Milady, um, she suggested um, a little while ago uh, that we use the prompt better late than never. And we love that. So our prompt for next week's episode will be better late than never. Excited about that. Hell yeah, dude.
1: All right. Thanks, Lauren. This is going to be awesome. Um, hope you guys liked this episode. And mm. like I said, follow us on Instagram. Twitter. You can email us. We're all there. Reach out.
0: Yep. If you want to email us, go for it. You know, old, old, I was gonna say old school, but I mean, I guess, uh, these days everyone's DMing each other. I guess emailing is old school.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, we're there. We're here. Uh, thanks for listening guys. Uh, have a great week
0: Mm -hmm. and we will see you next week. Stay weird.